Good morning. Uh, my name is Zach, if you don't know me. Um, stepping in here just for today. We are, in the, we are in the second week of our series called Four Life-Changing Stories. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about Easter. So I'll go ahead and pray and we'll get started. God, uh, just like that song said, worthy is the lamb who was slain. God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of all of who we are. Uh, God, help us to understand and see um, what you have really done for us. And um, God, would you speak through me today and just uh, hopefully paint a clear picture of, of communion and um, what communion entails. And God, help us let it be an act of worship. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to set the stage for you, and we're going to talk about next Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, and so, why am I talking about next Sunday today? Well, um, Palm Sunday was the day Jesus was celebrated as a hero. Um, as you can see, I wore my favorite uh, MCU character shirt today. I really wanted to be able to talk about heroes today, but... As I was prepping, um, I realized that I was not going to have enough time. So unfortunately, we won't. But we are going to read in um, about the triumphal entry. Uh, this is Matthew 21, 9 through 11. It says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus is a hero and rightly deserves to be celebrated as one. Only four days later, after Palm Sunday, they would consider him to be a criminal. I wanted to talk... Um, uh, so now we're going to jump into communion. Um, so there's quite a bit of backstory into communion. And I seriously considered starting in Exodus 1 and just reading all the way through because it is that good. Um, if you get the chance this week, I highly suggest reading Exodus chapters 1 through 15, any of the stories of the Last Supper in the Gospels, and... Um, 1 Corinthians 11. They have blessed my life this week, and I pray that they will bless your life as well. Um, the Last Supper is the start of the end. Um, this happened on the fourth day after Palm Sunday. You might consider it the end, but then it's really the beginning. Um, we're going to read the story of the Last Supper together, and... Uh, We'll read in Matthew's account, which is uh, 26, 17 through 29. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house and with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, they had all been eating together, and if I had to make a guess, every single one of them had probably dipped their hand in at the same time with Jesus at some point. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, that is the Last Supper. You guys understand now? Communion? Does it all make sense? Um, So to really understand communion, we need to understand the Last Supper. And to understand the Last Supper, we need to understand the Passover. So what is the Passover? This is what they were celebrating when they were all eating together. They were celebrating the Passover. The Passover was celebrated in observance of when God set his people free from Pharaoh. We were told about this in Exodus, which might be one of my favorite books in the Bible, because it clearly shows the hand of God. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the hand of God working. Not only in the Bible, but I think in each one of your own lives, you can see the hand of God working. So let's read in Exodus. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Okay, so now we need to know Joseph. So we might as well go to Genesis 1. I'm just kidding. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmakers over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh stores, store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all of their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. We see the people of God oppressed uh, shortly after this, or here, and then shortly after this, we see um, uh, Israel cry out. This is in Exodus 2, 23-25. During those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Um, Let's just talk about this passage real fast. There are two things that I take away from this passage. Israel complains a lot. Um, They are never content with their situation or what is happening in their life. Um, You can see that throughout all throughout the Bible. Um, So my first question is to you, do you complain to God? I don't think this is a bad thing. If you are in a situation or spot where like, I really do not like this, do you tell God? Or do you just sort of go along your time and, and not have that relationship with God? The better part about this passage is that God knows. The last, the last line, let me go back to it, in God knew. God already knows about what's going on in your life. He wants to have relationship with us. If I don't have relationship with my wife, she doesn't know what's going on. And so God wants us to have relationship with him. He wants us to communicate with him. But, like I said, all the better. God already knows. Now we're going to... um, Fast forward a few chapters. In those chapters, we learn more about Moses and how God calls Moses to lead his people. Um, Moses was pretty reluctant, and so God also calls Aaron to go help Moses in this task of bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. Um, And the celebration of Passover comes from when God sent ten plagues on Egypt before Pharaoh finally... uh, let Israel leave to sacrifice and worship God. Uh, we're going to take a little, quick look at the ten plagues uh, to understand um, the, sort of the whole picture. Um, something else that I thought was interesting is that God didn't have to do the ten plagues. He could have at any one point said, Israel, you can leave Egypt. You have my blessing, go leave Egypt. But he didn't do that. He wanted to show his power and his might to not only Pharaoh, but to also Israel. This is also, um, all the plagues is also a foreshadowing, especially the last one, is a foreshadowing of Jesus. So let's look at the initial request. Um, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh uh, twice before um, God starts sending the plagues. But Pharaoh was not going to have any of it. Um, Pharaoh had enslaved Israel to make bricks for, uh, for Egypt. And one of the important ingredients for making bricks is straw. Uh, straw acts like rebar in concrete, and it helps give it form and structure so that uh, it just doesn't break and fall away. And so Pharaoh said, I'm going to oppress the people more. They, he said, you need to go collect your own straw and still make the same amount of bricks. And I bet you can guess, Israel complained. Um, But God promises deliverance. So the first plague. Moses and Aaron ask Pharaoh uh, again for Israel to leave and worship and serve God, but Pharaoh refuses. God turns the river and... uh, the stone basins and 
uh, wooden basins and vessels um, into blood, and it stays that way for seven days. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not let them go. The second plague. Moses and Aaron ask again for Israel to leave and worship and serve God, but Pharaoh refuses. God sent frogs all over the land. They couldn't keep them out of anything. It's like they were, they were in their beds. Like, there were frogs all over the place. Finally, Pharaoh pleads with Moses and says, Please call to your God and let, get rid of the frogs. And so all the frogs die. And they piled them up in heaps, and the land stunk. Not very fun. Pharaoh hardened his heart and uh, during the second plague. And so Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh again. And if you thought frogs were bad, think of dust. The dust turned into gnats. Think about dust. There's dust everywhere. I, like, even in this room. I'm sure there's dust everywhere. Think of the, all the dust turning into gnats. Other versions of the Bible also say lice. I just... Oops. I just don't even... It's, it's hard to think about even lice. Uh, either way, gnats or lice, I can't imagine it was enjoyable. But Pharaoh would not relinquish and harden his heart. The fourth plague... The first of three pl- the three plagues, Israel had to endure as well. From here on out, um, Israel sort of got to sit on the sideline and have a first-hand look at what God was doing. The land of Egypt was filled with flies. Have you guys ever had just this one fly that just would not stop bugging you? It's just buzzing around and around and around. I used to work in a warehouse and flies would get in and it's like I had a piece of paper rolled up ready to just because they were always there and bugging us. So think of that but an unbearable amount. This is flies everywhere. You could not get away from them. No amount of rolled up paper would help you. Um, but Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh asked Moses to plead with God to remove the flies, but Pharaoh hardened his heart again. The fifth plague, God sends a plague on all of the livestock of Egypt. It's interesting to note that this is not the livestock of Israel, the livestock of Egypt. And the plague killed all the livestock of Egypt. But Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Let's take a quick recap of the first five. Water turns to blood. You could not drink water for seven days because there was none. Frogs. The land stank. They could not get away from the stink after the frogs had left. Not only would that be annoying to sleep with frogs, but the land stank. Gnats or lice... Pharaoh's magicians, to this point, had been able to repeat the uh, first two plagues, but admitted defeat and told Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Flies. Pharaoh relented and said to Israel, 
um, you could go, but you know, you can't go that far away. You need to stay close by. Um, but then he changed his mind and said, actually, never mind. You can't go anymore in the livestock. Um, during these times, you were considered wealthy based upon your uh, uh, sort of the amount of livestock that you owned. God hit them in their pocketbook. So moving right along, the sixth plague. Um, God sends boils on man and beast, breaking out into sores. This was so severe that Pharaoh could not even go to Moses and plead for God to take away the, um, the boils. Um, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart this time, and he would not let the people of Israel go. The seventh plague. All the other plagues are something that could have happened naturally in, um, in, in nature. But now, God sends a supernatural plague on the Egyptians. The text uh, specifically says, God will send very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. The biggest hail that I have ever seen has probably been about golf ball size. The largest recorded hail had about an 8-inch diameter. Eight inches is like a small bowling ball. Could it be that God sent even bigger hail? I bet so. He said that it would be heavy. I imagine an eight-inch diameter chunk of ice is heavy. But I'm thinking, heavy? Could God not do that? I submit that he can Anyone in the land of Egypt that did not heed Moses' warning by taking shelter from the coming hail died. Livestock, if you didn't get your livestock in, they died. If you did not get in, you died. Pharaoh relented and told Israel that they could go, but Pharaoh hardened his heart yet again. The eighth plague. Locusts. This time, God sent locusts so thick that the land was darkened. Have you guys ever seen a flock of birds flying in the sky? You can see it in formation. Well, that's nice and pretty, but I don't imagine seeing locusts in the sky is very pretty. Um, the locusts consumed everything in their path that wasn't already destroyed uh, by the hail. Egypt literally, at this point, had nothing left. There was nothing for them. It was all gone. Um, so Pharaoh pleads with Moses again to ask God to remove the locusts from the land but God hardened Pharaoh's heart again so he would not let the people of Israel go to worship and serve God the ninth plague um, it was a little difficult finding a picture of Egypt in the dark so I guess this has to do I, I thought I could put just a black picture up there, but that's not very interesting. <laughs> so, <clears throat> God sent darkness over the land of Egypt, except for where Israel dwelt. I, I just, this just boggles my mind. The darkness lasted three days. 
Have you ever gone on a cave tour and they turn off the lights and you know that you're putting your hand in front of your face, but you cannot see it? It is one of the weirdest feelings that I've ever experienced. Some people get vertigo because of this, because light helps orient you. Um, there are um, also, uh, you don't know how much time has passed. Uh, there's a story of a man who was in the cave and his light went out and he couldn't find it. And the rescuers finally got to him and he, uh, they asked, do you know how long you've been down here? like, oh, a couple hours. They said three days. He'd been down there for three days. He had no idea how much time had passed. So all of Egypt did not get up from where they were for three days. They were completely disoriented for three days. God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go. The final plague. The celebration of the Passover comes from the final plague. God instructed Israel to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and put the blood of, on the doorpost and on the lintel of every household in Israel. If you don't know what a lintel is, that's okay. I had to go look it up. The lintel is just the top. You got the doorpost, lintel is on the top. Um, they, then they were instructed to eat the rest of the lamb and burn anything that was left over. And we will pick up the rest of the story in Exodus 12. And this is 21 through 32. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch it to the lintel and the tube doorposts. With the blood that is in the basin, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. It will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. And as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock... And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds. As you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. I think we can see that Pharaoh was in a bit of a panic. 
He is asking for blessing from Moses and Aaron. He calls, and he calls Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night to let them leave. Let's do a quick recap. So we have our first five, and now we've got boils. This was on all the people of Egypt. I have never experienced boils. I don't uh, plan to, but I can't imagine. That was, uh, it was very enjoyable. Hail. Anyone who did not heed God's warning was killed. Locusts. Anything that was left over was completely decimated. Darkness. They did not have the ability to see anything. They were, they were just completely disoriented. And finally, the firstborn. This is where it really hits me. Could you imagine one morning where you wake up and every firstborn has died? I don't think I can go any further to talk about this. Because I think of my own kids. So we're going to move on. Can you imagine being Israel at this time? I would just find it astonishing to be on the sidelines, seeing the last seven plagues happen. So Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover. That is the Passover. They're celebrating the Passover of the destroyer. When God saved the people of Israel from Egypt. Um, This wouldn't have been something new for the disciples. They probably have done it twice before at this point. Because Jesus started his ministry almost three years earlier. So let's read again Matthew 26, 17 through 29. This is the Last Supper. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? This has been passed on for generations. The Passover, the Passover meal, the celebration. He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say one after after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now they were eating. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood and the covenant, which is poured out for for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. On the whole, on the whole picture, Jesus only talks very briefly about the Last Supper. And that's, that's it. We don't, we don't get too much more into it. And I bet the disciples are probably confused at this point. They were there to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus all of a sudden starts talking about uh, his body and blood relating to bread and wine. And I bet they're just like, what are you talking about? Thankfully, we don't have to be confused like the disciples were when Jesus was talking about it. Paul helps us to give us some insight into what Jesus was talking about. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What Paul is saying here is that we are celebrating what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that we are proclaiming Jesus as our Lord until he comes to bring us home. Uh, in college, I had a friend that I would often ask, where is home? Our answer was always heaven. That's where home is, right? It's not, it's not where you're going to go to after this. It's in heaven. Jesus' body would become the once and for all fulfillment of the ceremonies surrounding the Passover lamb and other Old Testament sacrifices. The cup foreshadows the shedding of Jesus' blood and the absorbing of God's wrath, which opens the way of redemption of all peoples through the new covenant relationship with God. We no longer need to celebrate Passover because Jesus fulfilled our need for the Passover. Just as Israel put blood on the lintel and doorposts so the destroyer would not enter their home, if you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are marked with the blood of Jesus. And God's wrath will pass over you when you die, and you will be welcomed home with open arms. So let me ask, do you know where you're going when you die? Do you have the blood of Jesus to protect you? If you are unsure, please come talk to me. Talk to somebody sitting near you. The gospel is very simple. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is this bar that we cannot reach. We have sinned, and we do not meet, meet that bar. And you might ask, so what? For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. So what can we do to overcome our sin? In short, nothing. There is nothing that we can do to overcome our sins so that we can have relationship with God. 
So God gives us a way to have relationship with him. He sent his son to die for our sins because Jesus is pure and holy and he is able to take our sins and die in our place. So again, ask, do you know where you're going when you die? I bet you've heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's it. Believe. It's that simple. If you have never deliberately decided to believe in what God has done for you, you can say a simple prayer. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I want you to be lowered over my life, and I put my trust in you alone. Thank you for what you've done for me and for giving me a way to have a relationship with you. Now, if we look at all of Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift, and all you have to do is believe. The celebration of communion is a proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection. It is an act of worship. And we're going to have the band come back up here shortly and lead us in a few more songs. Many times communion is considered a somber time of reflection and looking at your life and thanking God for what he's done for you. Um, if we look back at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says, For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't think of somebody proclaiming being very small and go God. I think of somebody on the rooftop saying, yes, God has saved me. Today, when we take communion, proclaim God has saved you. But we do have a catch. We do have a caveat. Um, if we continue in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you have placed your belief in Jesus, we'll have stations in the back on either side for you to go to when the band comes back up to lead us in worship. You can take a cracker and dip it in the juice and proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. We're going to do worship for a couple reasons again. We had our the first three songs, but after um, Moses and Israel after they pass through the Red Sea, so they leave Egypt after the final plague, and God brings them to the Red Sea, and he passes them through the Red Sea. As soon as they get to the other side of the Red Sea, Moses and all of Israel, they sing a song. In this, similarly, um, also, after Jesus and the disciples had their first, com had their first communion together, they sang a hymn. 
when they went out to the mountain. They sang a song. So if you've been marked by the blood of Jesus, you can go at any time while we worship for, we're going to have a few more songs. You can go at any time during the time to partake in the worship of communion. I'll pray while the band comes back up. God, you, you have done imaginably more than I can think. Thank you for taking our sins and dying on the cross. God, thank you that we get to worship and proclaim you by taking communion. God, you have saved me. God, you have delivered me from death. I think about all those firstborn. I can't even imagine. God, help us to take the weight and gravity of what you've done on the cross for us seriously. And God, that it is a free gift. God, that we get to be a part of and to have relationship with you. We could not otherwise. Thank you for giving us relationship. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.